Christians need to understand what they believe, and they also need to understand what the other side believes. The church needs to be leading in this effort. We need to have strong Sunday school classes teaching these things, and we need to have strong sermons critiquing the worldviews of this very secular, destructive movement. And then we need to make the effort to go out and turn the world right side up again for the Lord. That's good. We need to preach the gospel. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast, where we are shaping the Palmetto State from a biblical worldview. In case you've missed any episodes prior to this one, you can listen to every episode of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as well as our website, www.palmettofamily.org. In our previous episodes, we have discussed the rise of critical race theory and cultural Marxism, the adoption and foster care crisis in South Carolina, and we've had several special guests join us as part of our Palmetto Family Matters Conversations series. Pastor Tony Foster of Restoration Worship Center, Editor-in-Chief of Living Real Magazine, Melanie Scholl, State Representative Lynn Bennett, and Director of the Department of Social Services, Mike Leach, have all joined us to discuss the issues that matter most to South Carolina families. And if you missed any of these, I encourage you to go back and listen to them, again, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or our website, www.palmettofamily.org. My name is Justin Hall, Director of Communications with Palmetto Family Council. And beside me, Mitch Prosser, our Director of Outreach at Palmetto Family. And Mitch, introduce our special guest on this next edition of the Conversation Series. Wow, Justin. It sounds like we've had a lot of guests and a lot of impactful conversations about the things that are happening in South Carolina that matter to every South Carolinian in our home state. There's a lot going on, and I'm so grateful that we have men and women who are speaking directly into the issues, who are aware of what's going on, and are well-equipped to speak into those issues with a positive and yet concerted worldview sharing our faith with the world around us. Because after all, it's all about sharing the gospel with people so that lives are changed. Today in studio, we're joined by two great men of God, Dr. Daniel Janosik. He has a PhD in historical theology and a focus on Islamic studies, so he's well-versed in the issues that we face today. And Mr. Kevin Johnson, who is also extremely well-versed in many of the issues, including critical race theory and cultural Marxism, that our podcast has already covered. Today, we're joined by these two exceptional men for our Listeners listening right now, help us understand what Christian apologetics is from a nuts and bolts, you know, boots on the ground perspective. What is Christian apologetics? Great question. Well, I think I'd go back first to some of the verses that we find in the Bible just to set a background. First Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an answer. Titus 1.9 says, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. We need to be able to do that. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive mm-hmm. to the obedience of Christ. That is so important. Absolutely. Acts 18, 28. In fact, the book of Acts is full of apologetic speeches. But it says here, For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. 
and then Acts 17, 22 to 31, where Paul is on uh, the mount there at Areopagus, and he said this, What you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And he goes on to talk about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ uh, raised from the dead. So I really think of it, apologetics in this way. Essentially, it can be defined in three words, understand, defend, and refute. We need to understand both sides. Whatever we're dealing with, we need to understand what they believe fully. We need to know what better than they do. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand what we believe as Christians. Because if we don't understand what we believe, we cannot then do the rest and that is to defend what we believe. We need to know the arguments. We need to be able to converse with those arguments and with the people. And then we need to be able to refute what they are saying. And if we cannot refute what they're saying, then we're only halfway there. So three key words, understand, defend, and refute. That's awesome. I had a uh, professor in undergrad who used to say an uneducated or uninformed Christian in his, is an ill-equipped Christian, and I couldn't agree with what you're saying more. That's powerful. And so, Kevin, based off of that, we're going to kind of pivot just a bit and get into the, the crux of what we're talking about to line up with those apologetics and how to understand what we're talking about. From a, from a Christian worldview, how would you succinctly define critical race theory and cultural Marxism in I don't want to say layman's terms, but in the, in the simplest of ways, how would you define that for the folks listening? So I would say that, to begin with, CRT is an academic discipline, or it began as an academic discipline, but it's turned into an ideology. And the ideology places race at the center of the human experience. It sees all of life as a struggle between the oppressed and the oppressor. And that particular thread, you mentioned cultural Marxism, um, a while back, that particular thread runs all the way from Karl Marx all the way to CRT. It's cultural Marxism, it's critical theory, it's critical legal theory. So you can you can pull the thread on that theme of oppressed versus oppressor. Um, I think it's important to to understand that the advocates of CRT, the real advocates of CRT, those that were there in the early days, do believe that it's a movement. Cornel West, who was an early proponent of CRT, described it as a comprehensive movement in thought and life. He also said it includes radical politics, existential evaluation, and he used words like reconstructive experimentation. So those are not words that are ever associated with an academic discipline. Uh-huh. Those, are, those are associated with an ideology that seeks to transform the world. So that's what we're seeing in, in CRT. We're seeing something that is not an obscure academic theory pop up in our schools, in our colleges, in governmental institutions, all over our society. And unfortunately, it's also seen in some churches. And then the last thing I would like to say about CRT is just like its predecessors, it redefines words and concepts that are familiar to us without being honest about the fact that they're being redefined. So justice, oppression, racism, all of those concepts mean something very different to an advocate of CRT. And you cannot have a discussion on those topics unless you're using the same definitions. And so I want to follow up on that because you mentioned how this is sort of laid out 
from Karl Marx to now, and it's a progression. The praxis of critical race theory, and I use these interchangeably, cultural Marxism, where is where is that praxis? Because it's not just a theory. This is being put into place. Why is that so important that it's not just a theory, but it's now being practiced and being put into effect in in our institutions? So we get a lot of questions about that. What What's driving it? What's the, the driving factor behind it? And to me, it begins with cultural Marxism. Antonio Gramsci looked back at Marx and said, great ideas, but the revolution never happened in the West. Mm-hmm. So let's understand why that didn't take place. Well, it didn't play, take place because of the cultural institutions that existed in the West. Mm-hmm. And in Gramsci's mind, uh, in order for that bloody revolution to take place that Marx envisioned, the only way to do that was through a long progression of subverting cultural institutions. Mm-hmm. That's why it's called cultural Marxism. And Gramsci had a concept called the Long March. <laughs> and that Long March has been executing since the day the Frankfurt School scholars landed on our shores. Mm. So it was an 81-year progression, um, at the very least, if we go back to, to that. Wow. So it sounds like so many people who are listening to this for the very first time or are just now hearing about critical race theory and cultural Marxism and all of that in the last 18 months have been missing out for 81 years. This has been a progressive movement in the long haul. That's significant. That This isn't something that's fly by night. It didn't happen overnight. This has been in the works for some time. So as we – it sounds like from what I'm hearing – you guys say is that a lot of this, you know, kind of begins in the classroom. And as I'm sitting with two very well-educated, very well-understood men, how does this make its way to the dinner table, from the classroom to the dinner table? How can our listeners at home articulate the worldview in their everyday conversations, this biblical worldview? How do they get that out? in the conversation at Thanksgiving table or at the gas pump or with their mom on the phone? How do they talk about that? Well, first, um, just to follow up a little bit on what Kevin was saying about how they change the concepts, we need to understand how that's being done. CRT and the proponents are trying to turn the world upside down for the wrong reasons. Remember, Jesus Christ turned the world upside down for the right reasons. Well, the proponents of CRT say they want equity for everyone, but it is the most unequal system possible. They say they want racial reconciliation, but they are more racist than the typical racists of the past. They say they want tolerance, but they are extremely intolerant of any worldview that is opposed to their views. So in the end, they want to deconstruct America according to the Constitution as well as Christianity because they know they cannot install their agenda if the Constitution and Christianity are strong. So first I would say that around the table, they need to understand what the proponents of this movement believe. They are atheists intent on destroying our culture, especially the remnant of Christianity in order to create their own world that revolves around themselves. Therefore, we need to understand what they believe. And then, as I said, with apologetics, 
We need to know their arguments against these destructive ideas so that we can articulate them with our family and our friends. And then we need to strongly refute these corrosive ideas in all spheres of our lives. We can't win the battle unless we expose the lies and proclaim the truth. And I'm so thankful that in so many uh, council meetings across the nation now, people are getting up and they're fighting back and they're saying, this is not America. This is not right. biblical. This is not what we want. We need to do that more, but we need to understand so that we can defend and refute. That's right. Absolutely. So you're talking about understanding the issues, and you mentioned this earlier, Doctor, that we need to look at both sides and understand the for lack of a better term, opposition, better than the proponents of it understand it. Exactly. So if you're trying to understand it that way and then defend your own cultural beliefs and our own Christian worldview, is this are, – are folks listening on the offense or are they on the defense? Which which side um, should people consider themselves on here? Or is it or is it both? Can we just go ahead and take that and say it's just both? Um, sure. Yeah, in fact, I think we are on the offensive and the defensive. And on the offensive in the sense that you guys are doing this podcast, we're teaching the class that we're teaching. A lot of other folks are engaged in helping people understand what their kids are being taught in school. We have folks that are beginning to see the signs in their workplace, in their church, and they're actually working to to counteract that. So that's being on the offensive. Uh, but we're unfortunately also on the defensive so so Gramsci's long march has been going on for quite a while and our culture has been slowly deconstructing from that time so we've been largely ignorant of that and largely ignorant of the impact in our society until fairly recently and we're all just kind of standing up and going what what is happening all around us so we are on the defense in that sense and what we see in all of that is that, uh, yes, we're on the offensive side, we're also on the defensive side, but the most critical thing that we can do is to preach the gospel of Christ, because this whole movement is trying to deconstruct Christianity because Christianity is going to be the greatest obstacle yes. for their goal to be yes. reached. So the greatest thing that we can do as Christians is to preach Christ to everyone mm-hmm especially those who are opposed Mm -hmm. to what we believe. Wow. Absolutely. They are running away from Christ and from God's world. They want a secular society, an atheistic society. That's the only way that their their movement will work. So we have the greatest tool. Jesus. Jesus. So preach Jesus. That is the gospel that will overturn this movement. Something that I've picked up on uh, several of our conversation points so far in this podcast has been this word deconstructionism. Now, there are a lot of different ideas floating about on exactly what deconstructionism is. Can you help me and those listening better understand, both from a philosophical and practical aspect, what deconstructionism is? Sure. It, it actually is a philosophical construct, but... The way that we're seeing it play out today, um, cultural Marxism and, and Gramsci um, are really kind of focused on the deconstruction of societal institutions. So as we said, in Gramsci's mind, 
the reason the revolution failed was that societal institutions kept the proletariat from understanding how oppressed they were. Yes. And so the only way to help them understand their oppression is to deconstruct anything that opposed that knowledge. And so the way that deconstruction occurs is Gramsci's concept of the hegemony, mm-hmm. the hegemonic culture, the majority culture that exists has to be removed. So wherever in whatever institution that hegemonic culture is in power, that power has to be removed and replaced. And it's replaced with the voices of black and indigenous people of color, replaced with supporters of CRT. When that happens, that particular institution is now co-opted. So that's really the approach of deconstructionism. It's not the removal of law and order or the removal of uh, academia or the removal of any other institution, it's actually the co-opting of that institution. And we see that playing itself out just as Dr. Janosik just mentioned through subversion of terms, through um, just the stuff that's happening in Loudoun County and across our nation where basically everything we knew and understood is being deprogrammed, deconstructed, mm-hmm. torn down, and being rebuilt in a way that best suits the needs and the agenda of those that are deconstructing just to rebuild. It, right. It, yeah. Right. Wow. So basically, the deconstruction is really geared to destroy the foundations of our nation built on the Constitution and Christianity, Christian principles, because they are in the way. They won't allow this uh, movement to mm-hmm. progress. So they've got to destroy those foundations. And that will destroy America as we know it. I've, I've said this as I've traveled the state. And uh, those forces that are against the church and against what we've known as the American exception away for so long, they're tearing at the fabric and destroying the foundation of our country. And if anybody, uh, I'll I'll pose Justin's thought, if anybody wants to challenge, I'd love to talk with you. Uh, You can can email me. You can call me. I'd love to talk with you about how our nation is a Christian nation. It was established on biblical foundational principles. But all that is under assault, as you're hearing right now. So that begs the question that so many of you are asking, possibly right now, what in the world do we do? With this apparent madness and upheaval of our society and those cultural norms that we've all come to agree on as being the exchange of our ideas, the things that we've held uh, valuable as a culture, what role then do churches, those small groups and even Sunday school classes, what role does apologetics and apologetics courses, what role does that play in the thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, Mitch, obviously Christians need to understand what they believe, and they also need to understand what the other side believes. The church needs to be leading in this effort. Yes. We need to have strong Sunday school classes teaching these things, and we need to have strong sermons critiquing the worldviews of this very secular, destructive movement. 
And then we need to make the effort to go out and turn the world right side up again for go. the Lord. That's Amen. good. We That's need to good. preach the gospel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I would just add, I think, um, and, and Daniel's right on there, regardless of what we see happening around us, the mission of the church or of Sunday school classes or small groups, wherever Christians are engaged, that mission has not changed. It, it won't change. We equip the church, we defend the faith, we advance the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's good. Yep. And um, we need to be faithful in this time. We need to be courageous in this mm. time. And, you know, the outcomes are in God's hands, not ours. So our calling is to be faithful. God handles the consequences and the outcomes. That's, mm. I love that quote from John Quincy Adams. And it was specifically into the cultural revolution of their day, which was slavery. John Quincy Adams looks at the Congress at the time. He's the only president who went from being the president back to Congress solely to put an end to slavery. He made that famous quote, duty is ours, leave the results to God. And I think that's where so many Christians, we think that we have to muster the results ourselves. Right. We just have to do the job that God's called us to do. And right. what I hear you saying, gentlemen, is that pastors... And leaders in the church need to be men and women of courage, conviction, and faith and do the job that God has called us to do. So, pastor, speak to the issues. Sunday school teacher, leader in the church, be well prepared to handle the issues. Yes, fellowship is a great thing, and that needs to happen in Sunday school classes, but also and in your small group. But you need to be equipping and preparing not just the the white-haired people in the room you need to be preparing children because the things that we're facing now will be their issues one day as we started at the beginning i think that question that's continually asked is is there any hope and the the verse that dr janosik used just a moment ago i think is so vital in talking about this issue it's the most a fam- most famous apologetics verse that i think has ever been used in fact the wor- reason we get the word apologetics is from the greek apologia which means to be ready to give an answer many of you are already ahead of me and you're in first peter chapter 3 in verse 15 peter tells us but sanctify the lord god in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense an answer an apologia to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Friends listening today, the hope for America, the hope for South Carolina, the hope for your children, your family, your church, your neighborhood, the hope for America lies in you. The gospel of Jesus Christ, he is our only hope. And so today we leave you with great hope, knowing that there is a solution, there is an answer, and it is men and women of courage, conviction, and faith in Jesus Christ rising to the occasion, stepping up to the plate, and providing hope in our world. As our friend Pastor Tony Foster says, be as bold as a lion. There you go. I think think we're at those days now. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. This has been informative and yeah. um, certainly something that we need to hear just from, I don't want to say from an academia standpoint, but just from a common sense, logical focus, adding the Bible on top of it and adding that worldview. I think it's so vital that we, and I mean us, the listeners, everyone, understand what exactly 
we're going against. And so, like Mitch was saying, you might be thinking, what can I do? Well, there's one thing you can do is you can text guardrails to 76076. When you do that, you will be connected with us at Palmetto Family, and we can provide you with more information on how to contact your state legislature or the issues that matter to you. We, we will get you connected, and we will get you the resources you need. And of course, you can also subscribe to the Palmetto Family Matters podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can listen on our website as well, www.palmettofamily.org. But if you subscribe on Apple, please give us that review. Leave us five stars. We, we think we've earned that, and we encourage you to do just that and subscribe there as well. But if you visit on our website, on that podcast page, you will also find all the resources that we use every single podcast we post those on the website so you know that the information is coming from credible sources and we cite those on the website gentlemen thank you so much for joining us today it was really a pleasure and we look forward to having you guys on again really soon thank you it's good to be here thank you so much for listening to palmetto family matters podcast that's right ladies and gentlemen go out into the world and provide hope